Well, last week, uh, we started a new series here at Big Valley Grace called Standing Strong, where we're going through the, the book of 1 Peter together. Peter said this in chapter 5. He said, my purpose in writing this, this letter is to encourage you and to assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. One version says, stand strong in that grace. And uh, as a way of uh, uh, reminding you of what I talked a little bit last week, and, and that was this, that, that when Peter wrote this, it was a dangerous time to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, Christians were being fed to the lions. They were being burned at the stake. They were being thrown into prison and, and brutally tortured. This was an awful time to name the name of Christ. So as you can imagine, these Christians were scared. They were bummed out. They were worried about, man, what's going to happen to me? Am I next? Is someone going to bust open my home and pull me out and throw me to the lions? Are they going to, you know, uh, throw me in prison? They've already seen their loved ones, people they care about, uh, being killed and, and tortured. And so they're scared. So Peter writes this letter to encourage them. He hopes that somehow this letter will help them to stand strong in the midst of all the, the crummy things that are going on in their lives. Now, as a side note, it was just a few years after Peter wrote this letter that he was killed, he was crucified, he was martyred for his, his faith. Now, here's the good news. The good news is that you're never gonna face the persecution that these people faced, okay? It was brutal. It's not gonna happen in your lifetime. I think it might happen maybe in my grandkids' lives. America's changing, and not for the better. But none of you in this room are gonna have to worry about the persecution that these brothers and sisters of ours face. But the principles that Peter kind of lays out in this book are applicable to us because we may not face that kind of persecution, but we go through difficult times, all of us. Whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're young, old, doesn't matter whether you're a guy or a gal, we all go through hard times, crummy times. Sometimes life kidney punches us, and it, life can be difficult, and so these principles can be a great encouragement to you also. And uh, so with all this said, let's read our verses for today, okay? Verse 13 of chapter 1. Think clearly and exercise self-control, Peter says. Look forward to the grace of salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scripture says, you must be holy because I'm holy. And remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time as foreigners in the land. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, God chose him, Jesus, as your ransom long before the world began, but he has now revealed them to you in these last days. Through Christ, you have come to trust God, and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ 
from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth, so now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all of your heart. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will end quickly. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scripture says, people are like grass. Their beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass, it withers, and the flower, it fades. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. So get rid of all evil behavior, be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you will grow into the full experience of your salvation. Cry out for this nourishment, now that you have tasted of the Lord's kindness. Now I want to start by asking a question. And and the question is this. Why is it so hard to live a God-honoring life? Why is it so hard to live a life that honors Jesus Christ? Why is it so hard to stand strong for Jesus? Why do we slip back into our old ways of living at times? Why is it so hard to live a holy life? Well, to answer the question, I need to lay a foundation, and and to to do that, I want to begin with what our brother, the great apostle Paul, penned in chapter 7. Paul says, "I, I don't really understand myself. Anybody ever feel that way? For I want to do what is right, Paul says, but I don't do it. Instead, I often do what I hate. But if I know what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good, so I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but sometimes I can't pull it off. I just can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I I don't want to do what is wrong, but at times I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's the sin that lives in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that's at war within my mind This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's laws. But because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Beloved, we see the great Apostle Paul here in deep conflict, don't we? I mean, nobody would question Paul's great love for God. Nobody would question Paul's great love for God's word or his incredible knowledge of God's word. There's no doubt that Paul had a deep desire to live a godly life. No doubt about it. But we see in our text that there were times when when Paul just couldn't pull it off. 
We see a man that wanted to do good. We see a man who wanted to do what was right. We see a man who, who wanted to please God, yet at times he did the very opposite. He, he did the very evil he hated. There were times when sin just kept tripping him up and dragging him down. And this is true for all of us, isn't it? There's nobody here who would stand up and say, oh man, from the moment I gave my life to Christ, I've never struggled. It's been an upward trajectory, you know. Why? Why do we as followers of Christ struggle at times to live out our faith? Well, before you entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, when you were an unbeliever, now, now I want you to pay very close attention. Now I'm going to give you one of the great theological truths in Scripture. You're going to walk out of here and go, man, I get it. Now I get it. So pay close attention. Before you entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you only had one nature, the flesh, the sin-filled nature, the, the old nature, and you got this nature from Adam. It was your inheritance from Adam. It's also called the Adamic nature, and everybody on planet Earth has it, everybody. Everybody in this room has the old nature, the sinful nature, the Adamic nature. Everybody over in the venue, as holy as those people are, every single one of you, you've got the sin-filled nature. If you go to the mall today and you walk around, every single person you see at the mall today has the old nature. Everybody you see at Rayleigh's will have the sin-filled nature. If you go to some sports place today to watch a game, everybody in there has the sinful nature. Every athlete you see on TV today, every single person has the sinful nature, the Adamic nature. I've got it, you've got it. Everybody has it. And that nature, your sinful nature, your Adamic nature, is under the control of the most diabolical force on planet Earth, and that's Satan and the demons. But there came a moment when everything changed. There came a moment when you invited Jesus Christ to be a part of your life. And if that decision was genuine, God did exactly what you asked him to do. He came into your life. He sent his Holy Spirit to invade your soul, which now means that you as a Christian have two natures living within you. You have the old Adamic sin-filled nature. Everybody has that. And now you have the new Christ-filled nature, God-filled nature, and only Christians have that. And you know what having these two natures does? It creates a weird dilemma within your body because your, your new Christ-filled nature wants to do what is right. It wants to follow the Lord. It wants to obey all of God's laws. It loves to come to church. It loves to sing songs. It loves to read the word of God. It loves to pray. It, it loves to give. It loves to serve. It loves to sacrifice. It loves to share. But the old sin-filled nature has a different agenda. It wants to be the boss. It wants to do its own thing. It likes things the way it were before the new nature showed up on the scene. In fact, the old nature hates everything there is about your new Christ-filled nature. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, the sinful mind, the, the, the sinful nature, the Adamic nature is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. 
You see, only those that have the, the Adamic nature, uh, unbelievers, man, they, they, they have little, if any, sensitivity to, to sin, or especially the, the weightiness of sin. Unbelievers don't worry about obeying God. They don't even believe in God. They, they don't care what the Bible says. Their primary concern in life is one thing, themselves. Now, they'll never admit that, but that's the reality. We're all selfish people, all of us, because of our sinful nature. All you have to do to prove that is, is you know, go to a family function and when someone takes a picture and they hand it to you, who's the first person you look for? You. And as long as you look good, it doesn't matter what everybody else looks like. Their hair can be messed up, stuff hanging out of their mouth, shirt all untucked, doesn't matter. As long as you look good, whoo, good picture. Right? You know, you're at the mall and you're walking by the, you know, the windows or whatever and you see yourself. Oh, man, we're weird, isn't it? We're just selfish people. And that starts at a young age. I often tell you, if you don't believe it, just put two three-year-olds in a room with one ball, you see the selfishness. It's just there. It's just a part of who we are. Unbelievers just do whatever they want. They're the boss of their own life. But for a follower of Christ, it's just the opposite. We're hypersensitive to God. We're, we're hypersensitive to, to God and his word because we've got God's spirit living within us. Now let me share with you two important things about your old nature. Number one, your old nature only wants to do one thing. Sin. That's all it wants to do. If God says this, mm -mm. It wants to do just the opposite. Sin is just simply rebelling against God and God's word and God's ways. That's all it wants to do. And every one of you in this room has that nature. Christian, you have that nature. It's there. And number two, your old nature will never change. You can't whip your old nature into shape you can't, you know, discipline your old nature into shape. It's absolutely impossible. You cannot change the old nature. Your flesh, the reason why this is gonna end up in a pine box six feet under the ground is, is because this doesn't get to go to heaven. Heaven's a perfect place. This is just the headquarters of sin. It connects us to the physical. That's all it is. It's full of sin. Doesn't get to go to heaven. It's gonna stay in the ground, beaten by worms. It's just a shell, it's an earth suit, it's all it is. It cannot change. You cannot whip your old man into shape. You don't come to church so that you can somehow discipline the old man. It is hostile to God. It doesn't want to obey God. It can't obey God. And you're all stuck with it. Everybody on planet Earth is stuck with it. So you know what that means for those of us that are followers of Christ? It means that as long as you live on this Earth, you're just stuck with the old nature and all of its sinful desires. This side of heaven, you're never gonna be free from it. Starting to understand a little bit why it's so difficult 
to live a God-honoring life at times? Why it's so difficult to live holy? Understand a little bit why Paul wrote Romans chapter seven and the great apostles struggled at times? Making some sense? Beloved, this, this means that we've gotta learn how to win the battle. We've gotta learn how to win this civil war that goes on within our soul at times. And, and what we saw in Paul's life was that there were times when this old nature won the war. And there will be times in your life the old nature will win the war. I don't care how long you've walked with God, does it matter? You will lose the war at times. You're looking at somebody who's the pastor of the church. I lose the war at times. The elders of our church lose the war at times. The other pastors of our church lose the war at times. The great apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament lost the battle at times. He didn't live it out perfectly. None of us will. And this is a church that recognizes this. You see, one of the reasons why people come to church and they give their life to Christ and then you never see him again is because the church gives people the impression that once you receive Christ, well, everything's gonna be hunky-dory. And what happens is, is they wanna live for God, you know? They've got God's spirit within them and now they, they, they wanna read God's word. They wanna do all these great things, but guess what? The old nature gets the better of them. And they feel like the church is a place that will point their bony finger at you and condemn you and make you feel bad and heap condemnation upon you. And so I don't want to go back there. You've come to a place, a family of believers, that understands the dilemma that we face. We are very much aware of the fact that you are not going to live out the faith perfectly. That there will be times like the great apostle Paul when you will fail miserably. The people of this church know that their pastor is going to fail miserably at times. I would never say that, oh man, I don't know what's wrong with Paul. What a loser. <laughs> that, guy, that guy doesn't know what he's doing. This is a church that recognizes the, the power of the old man and we have ministries set up, Celebrate Recovery. On, on Tuesday night, 500 people show up down here and man, they're, they're trying to win the battle against the addictions and the hang-ups and the habits and all those things that they have, those crummy things, pornography or, or anger or dope or whatever those things are. These are people who love Jesus Christ and yet there's this incredible battle that's going on for their lives. And we see it being played out in Scripture. Scripture talks very openly about it. And so, so do we. Now, it doesn't, it's not an excuse for us to run out and sin and just do whatever we want. I'm going to talk more about that in a, in a minute. But at least you understand a little bit of what's happening. Beloved, it's important that you understand the, the tensions, the tension that we as Christians live under as we try to navigate life. We've got the old nature, man, we're stuck with it. The only time we're gonna get rid of that is when we're finally, you know, in a pine box. And the Bible says that once you take your last breath here, your next breath's gonna be with the Lord. Your spirit will immediately go to the Lord, that new spirit within you. It goes right to the Lord, but this thing, dude, it's just it's gone. And let me see, everybody's still alive here, right? You're all, what that tells me is, is that I know every single one of you is battling with the flesh every single one of you. 
And I don't care how long you've walked with God, you're going to battle with it. But if you know Christ, I also know that Christ's spirit lives within you. And so there's this tension. You want to live holy lives like Paul, but man, at times you just can't pull it off, right? I get it. I understand. And in our text, the great apostle Peter is encouraging us to live holy lives. And the reason why the Bible throughout it encourages us to live holy lives is because God knew that it was, there were going to be times when we didn't, you see. And so God has these incredible men share with us, encourage us, live holy, live holy, be holy because your Father's holy. One of the things that we see here is that Peter gives us a couple of thoughts on how we can maybe win that battle that takes place. Number one, living a God-honoring life requires a, a new mindset. Verse 14, Peter says, you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires, those old nature, the Adamic nature. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. One version puts it like this. Don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil, doing just what you felt like doing. You didn't know any better then, but you do now. As obedient children, let yourself be pulled into a way of life that's shaped by God's life, a, a life of, of energetic and blazing with holiness. Isn't that good? Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. Pastor Mark mentioned it during baptism. He said, anyone who has joined to Christ, anybody who's given their life to Jesus Christ, if you've entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're a new being. The old is gone. The new has come. Beloved, the moment you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you became something new. You became a new person. You now have God's spirit living within you. Peter just words it a little bit differently. He says, hey, you're holy. Be holy. Now, holiness can be a scary word, but holiness simply means to be set apart. God says you're new. You're holy. You're, you're, you're set apart for me which means he wants you to follow him. He wants you to live for him. And the only way you're gonna be able to pull that off is you gotta have a new mindset. You gotta think differently. You gotta think like God thinks. For over 20 years, um, all I knew was the old ways. All I knew was the old nature. And the world simply pumped me full of, of a certain way of thinking. So I grew up thinking a particular way. Didn't know anything else. A couple of examples, I, I've shared this before. I, I, I thought abortion was okay. And then I gave my life to Christ, and guess what? I still thought abortion was okay. I, I didn't know anything. For 20 years, I've been taught that, you know, it's a, you know, whatever's in a woman's womb is certainly not a human life. It's just a bunch of cells or a snot ball or whatever, whatever I was taught. I was not taught that it was human life. Until one day I read Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created. 
And it tells me that God created human life in his own image. Then I get to Psalms 139 and it says that that God knit everybody together inside their their mama's wombs. And all of a sudden, whoa, I, I got a new way of thinking. Everything I had been taught, boy, I had to have a different worldview all of a sudden. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, he says, Rick, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Beloved, what you put into your mind matters. It determines your mindset. And if you want to win that battle that goes on, wow, you got to have a new mindset. You have to have the mindset of, of God. Paul said this in 1 Timothy chapter 3, all scripture, the Bible, is inspired by God and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it, the word of God, to prepare and equip his people for every good work. It wasn't until I get into the scriptures that I learned that, whoa, 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 whoa. The way I've been thinking has been wrong. I've allowed my thinking than to allow my actions to be a certain thing because I thought a particular way. But it's this. It teaches me what's wrong with my life. It teaches me what's right with my life. It equips me. Gets me ready for whatever it is that God would have for my life. Beloved, you'll never win the war against your flesh if you don't spend time in God's word. And we're going to talk more about this in just a little, little bit. But it, but it takes effort to get into God's word, doesn't it? Why? Remember the old nature? The last thing your old nature wants to do is get into this book. The reason why, you know, think about it. Some of you, man, you got up today, man. You got down here and everything was great. Hey, sing the song. Now all of a sudden, oh, it's the Bible. <sighs> <laughs> Interesting how the old nature works. Somebody can tell me a crummy joke and I've got it memorized for a lifetime. Aww. Trying to memorize the word of God, wow. Battle that goes on. Last week I, I challenged people to, to, to read, challenged you to read First Peter every day or a little bit of it every day. And I was talking with a guy the other day and who took the challenge. He made the commitment that he was going to wake up 30 minutes early each day and get into the Word of God. And he told me everything started off great. Monday and Tuesday, man, 5.30, his alarm went off. Bam, he got up, got into First Peter, man, started reading it. His day went great. Wednesday rolled around, the alarm went off, you know, and he reaches over and he hits the snooze button just one time. Got five more extra minutes, you know, jumps up, reads the Word of God. He gets to Thursday and Hits it three or four times now. And by Friday, he's thinking to himself, you know what, I'm not really sure this is God's will. But I, I, I'm to, uh, isn't that weird how that works? If I would have said to you last week, hey, listen, you get up a half an hour early. 
And you do that all week long. The end of the week, man, I'll give you two 49er tickets down the 50-yard line. <laughs> man, you, you'd have got up an hour early. Poo, poo, poo. You'd have called me. I'm up, man. I'm up. I just want you to know. Wide awake, man. Had to coffee, go to work, do all these stuff. No problem. I got Niner tickets on the line. <laughs> but, you know, to get up, to get into the Word. Ooh, man. Are you understanding why it's difficult? You have the old man you got to deal with. You got the old nature you got to deal with. You got the Adamic nature, it's there. And you're going to struggle with it until you go home and be with the Lord. I don't care how long you've walked with God. But to win the war, wow, you got to make sure that you got the right mindset. It's easy to slip back into the non-disciplined life. It's easy to drift back into the old ways, isn't it? We're always being tempted to live contrary to God's word, to live according to the flesh or the old nature. And Peter knew this, which brings me to number two. Number two is a God-honoring life requires hard work. Hard work. Verse 13 says, think clearly and exercise self-control. One version says, prepare your minds for service. Prepare. It's got that, the feeling of, of working hard. Beloved, Peter bears down on his pin here, and he basically says, hey, Christian, roll up your sleeves. Put your mind in gear. Prepare your mind. Think clearly. Remember, God chose you, and he's working in you, and heaven is waiting for you, so don't allow yourself to lazily slip back into those old ways. Don't do that. Work hard. I remember once I was speaking up at Hume Lake at one of their junior high winter camps, and I was asked to be a part of, these junior hires came up and said, hey, you know, you want to play broom hockey with us? And they have an outdoor ice rink. And I'm thinking, you know, how hard could this be, man? A bunch of, you know, little dinky junior hires, man. So I said, sure. And I go out on the ice with them and I'm falling all over the place, and these 12-year-olds are coming up to me, hitting me, checking me, you know, tripping me. And once I fall down, you know, they're all hovering above me, mocking me, you know, dancing around me, laughing, and I got my broom, and I'm... Unbelievable. As I thought about that this week, I want you to know that's exactly what the evil one does after you give your life to Jesus. He hits you, he checks you, he trips you, and when you fall down, he circles around you with no mercy, no grace, no kindness, and he laughs at you. So unlike me, when I walked onto that ice rink up at Hume, you gotta be prepared for the battle that comes, and that takes hard work. You see, just because you gave your life to Jesus Christ doesn't mean everything's gonna be you know, great. It takes some hard work. Think about what's happening today with all these football games. Some of these guys have been practicing for, for months, months, 17, 18 weeks. They practiced and have played games. These are elite athletes. And though they have played and practiced for months, what do you think they did last week? You think they all just sat around and did this? I'm in great shape. Played 17 games practiced all 17 weeks of those 17 games, practiced three months before those games ever started. 
No, they've been practicing all week long. They've been working hard, even though they are elite athletes, even though they're in incredible shape, even though they've played a lot of games, they still understand they got an opponent. And you have an opponent, Christian. You got the old man, the old nature, the Adamic nature. And you got to have a new mindset. And you got to work hard if you're somehow going to live this holy life. Now, let me give you the why. Let, let, let me give you the motivation for wanting to live a, a godly life. Why should we work hard to stand strong for Jesus? Well, the answer is you need to work hard at standing strong for Jesus because God paid a huge price for you. He paid a huge price for you. Look at verse 18. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And that inheritance you can take all the way back to who? Adam. And it was an empty life. A life that was under the control of the evil one. And the ransom that God paid was not mere gold or silver. The ransom that it took to to, to free you from that life was the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Beloved, the reason you're going to heaven is because God paid a huge price for you, something worth way more than silver or gold. It cost God his only son, the second person of the Holy Trinity. Jesus died for you. That's the why that's the why you, you, know, you, you ought to work hard. That's the why as to why you need to put a, you know, fill your mind with, with new things. Look, if you get nothing else out of this message, you know, in a minute you're going to leave, get in your car or whatever, you're going to leave the venue and get in your car. If you're listening on the internet, we have hundreds of people listening on the internet live. Get, get this, don't miss this. Jesus Christ died for you. He shed his blood for you. That's the motivation as to why you ought to want to live a godly life. I don't want to live a godly life because I think God's just waiting. Okay. Pew, you badacky. You blew it, countryman. Pew. I'm not kidding. I don't have, I don't, I'm not motivated to live a holy life or a godly life because I think God's ready to smash me if I blow it. The reason why I'm motivated to live a godly life, what motivates me to want to work hard, fill my mind with good things, is I know what took place on the cross. And that ought to be all of our motivation, to want to work hard. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, I urge you, those of you that have been called by God to live up to the life to which God called you. Paul knew it wasn't going to be easy. Remember, he's the one who wrote Romans 7. He, he was very much aware of the fact that people were going to fall and stumble and bumble and blow it and, and have hurts and, and hang-ups and hiccups and whatever all the other H's are we use around this place. He, he knew But that doesn't mean that he didn't stop motivating people. Come on. I'm going to urge you. Come on, live a life worthy of the calling that's on your life. 
You name the name of Jesus Christ. God was holy and he wants you to reflect him. He wants you to be holy. New mindset, work hard at it. Now let me give you three specific things that um, you need to work hard at, okay? Number one, you need to work hard at loving people the way Jesus loved people. Verse 22 says, you were cleansed from your sins, Christian. A huge price was paid for you, Christian. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. Listen to me. What does a holy life look like? What does a set-apart life look like? What does a God-honoring life look like? Right here. Somebody who's set apart, somebody who's living a God-honoring life, somebody who's living holy is going to love people the way Jesus loved people. This is just real practical stuff here. Love is what sets us apart. Love is the display of holiness. Love is the litmus test for Christians. Jesus said in John chapter 13, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Jesus didn't say, um, um, you're the, all of the cross jewelry you wear, that'll be the sign to people that you're one of my disciples. He didn't say that. He didn't say that the sign to people that you're one of my disciples is if you have this whole book memorized and you can rattle off all the books of the Bible and, and you know all the great doctrines of the faith. He didn't say that. He didn't say uh, people will know that you're one of my disciples if you put, you know, honk if you love the Lord sticker on your car. <laughs> he didn't say you, people will know that you're one of my disciples as long as you carry one of those five, four foot by four foot Jerry Falwell Bibles under your arm. That's how people will know. Nothing wrong with those things, beloved. Those are all good things. What Jesus Christ said was this. If you want someone to know that you're set apart, if you want someone to know that you're living a God-honoring life, if you want someone to know that you're living a holy life, if you want to reflect the Father, here, here, here's what it is. It'll be your love for one another. That'll be the thing. I wonder if someone from the secular world would come into our church family, would they say that about us? Or would they say, behold, you know, how they judge one another there, you know, big belly. Behold how they criticize one another there at that church. Behold how they fight amongst one another. Behold how they hurt one another. I know what someone would say. I get emails all the time from people that visit this place. You are a group of people who live a set-apart life. We, we love people here. We do. The church for too many years is not necessarily this one, but the church in general has just been known for the fact that when you blow it, when you fumble, when the old man gets the better of you, like it did the apostle Paul, boom, the church just shoots its own. How dare you live an ungodly life, an unholy life, this is a church that understands that nobody in here is going to do it perfectly. Nobody. Nobody. And when you blow it and when the old man gets the better of you, you know what we're going to do? We're going to pick you up and we're going to love you. We're going to dust you off. 
we got ministries here, Celebrate Recovery, other things that will help you deal with those things you struggle with, pornography, drugs, alcohol, uh, anger, I don't care what it is. We don't shoot our own here. We understand what that cross is about. We understand why God had to hang on that cross because we're all messed up. We all have the Adamic nature, the sinful nature. And this side of glory, we're all going to wrestle around with it. That's not an excuse to just go sin. Well, you know, I got the old nature, so I just sin. No. Somebody who says that doesn't understand the motivation, the why, that Jesus Christ paid a huge price for you. See that? Number two, you need to work hard at controlling your your tongue. Verse two says, so get rid of all evil behavior, be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Now, obviously, I've generalized these five areas under tongue because I think they have a way of displaying themselves by the words that we use. And number two, uh, I just needed to get through this message. (laughs) I could have talked on all of those easily. Now, look, listen to me. I think if you're working hard at loving people, listen to me, the words that come out of your mouth will be different. If you're living a set-apart life, you're living a life that honors Christ and you're working hard at loving people the way Jesus loved them, your words will be different. They'll have a different tone to them. They'll have a different heart behind them. The great apostle Paul says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those that hear them. Look, before I gave my life to Christ, I used to cuss. Oh, oh man. Man, I could cuss. I, I, I was good at it. I, I, I often tell you, I could take four or five cuss words and put them all together, and, and it sounded good. It, it was cool. It didn't matter if I was hurting people. It didn't, it didn't matter how raunchy it was. Because for 20 years, I was just taught a certain thing, you know. And all of a sudden, I read the Word of God, and it says, Rick, don't, 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 don't use foul language. Don't use abusive language. Use the three-ounce beast differently. And all of a sudden, guess what? New mindset. Now, for me, when I read that, I'm not kidding you. First time I read that, I went, oh, man. So God says this. Yeah, literally, boom, stopped. Never had another problem with it. Now, that's not true for everybody. For some of you, you know what? You're wrestling with that. The old man gets a hold of you, the Adamic nature, man, the flesh, and your tongue goes crazy. I, I get it. I have my areas. That wasn't one of them. We're all going to struggle at times. But if you're struggling, make sure that you're doing whatever you can. You need to work hard at not doing it. You need to fill your mind with other things that would help you maybe live that part of, you know, the the journey of faith out a little better. Number three, you need to work hard at getting into God's word. Peter says, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you will grow into the full experience. Not just get saved, you know, you give your life to Christ and say, no, there's a a greater experience than just getting saved. 
Cry out for this nourishment now that you have tasted of the Lord's kindness. Now, Peter's not saying that these people were spiritual babies. He's simply saying that you've got to crave the word like babies crave their mother's milk. And when I read this this week and I was studying, I was thinking back to when my first child was born, Megan, you know, she's just a couple days old. We brought her home to our little, our little house. And there would come these moments, you know, I'd be holding her. Wee, 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 wee. And I'd get a little bear or something. Wee, wee. I'd put a little thing in her mouth. Wee, 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 wee. She wanted one thing. What was it? Mama's milk. And she wasn't going to stop. I could tap dance. I could... <laughs> nothing she wanted her mother's milk she was craving it and I think Peter was probably remembering being in his own home with his own child and Peter says look that's what you have to do think to those babies they're not going to stop crying until they get their mother's milk You got to work hard at that, though, because some of you have walked with God for decades, and guess what? You don't crave the milk anymore, do you? Ah, you're going to heaven. You know you're going to heaven. There are other things that you crave. You crave, you know, getting out and swinging the sticks. Boy, if you don't get to play that for a couple days, you kind of go a little nutty. For others, it's going out and playing softball, you know, if you can't play, wow, you crave that, don't you? Crave going fishing. Wow. Those are all things that the old nature is going to make sure you crave. Anything but craving God's word. So if you want to live a godly life, a holy life, let me tell you something. It takes some, some work to get into the word of God. Hard work sometimes. Let me give you um, a couple of spiritual disciplines that you can take away as I wrap this up. If this is the only moment you get milk, a Sunday morning or a, you know, a Saturday night, it's better than a sharp poke in the eye. But you'll never live the, the holy life, the godly life, the Christ-honoring life if your only craving comes on a Sunday morning. So let me give you seven disciplines that I share a lot. Number one, you need to have daily scripture reading. These are disciplines, and I like that word discipline. Number two, you need to have daily prayer times, times when you're talking with God and you're listening to God. You need to be committed to a weekly worship, committed to it weekly, not bi-weekly, not once a month, not, you know, Easter and Christmas. You commit yourself weekly. You need to uh, have consistent, joyful giving. You need to be in a, an accountability relationship. And that might be somebody in your home group. It could be somebody in men's ministry, women's ministry. Oftentimes, you can be in a home group, but you have to have somebody else in your life who's going to say, how you doing? 
You filling your mind with, with God's things? Are you working hard to live a godly life? How are you doing in these spiritual disciplines? You need to serve somewhere within the church, and you need to have a heart to reach those outside the church. Those are seven disciplines, man. The Word of God, prayer, worship, having accountability, joyful giving, serving, and having a heart for the lost. I want us to say those three things together out loud, okay? Let's say them together. And remember, the old man, the flesh, doesn't want you to say these things. Gonna take some hard work here. Here we go, number one. I need to work hard at loving people the way Jesus loved people. You do that, I'll tell you what, you're, you're living the separated life. You're living a holy life. Number two, I need to work hard at controlling my tongue. Hey, listen. That is living holy. That's a God-honoring life. And number three, I need to work hard at getting into God's word. Look, one of the things I love about the Bible is, is that God says, look, I want you to live holy. I want you to live a life worthy of your calling. But then the Bible then comes along and says, let me give you some principles here. Let me give you some thoughts on what that looks like and maybe some things on how you can you know, pull that off. Now, now, here's the deal. Some of you are here, you're over in the venue, and you're thinking to yourself, wow, the old man's got a hold of me right now, and I, I'm just, I'm blowing it. In fact, I've allowed the old man to run, run my life so long, it's ruined my family. We have a room called the altar room, and there's one over there in the venue, and the spiritual leaders of our church are gonna be in there. And they're there to pray for you. They're not there to condemn you or judge you. We've all been through the fire. We get it. And for some of you, maybe it's just going to take the faith just to get up and make your way into that room and say, man, my old nature just gotten the better of me. Would you pray for me? And you know what? That might be the only thing you need to do. And you might see victory. Some of you just need to Use the example of the Apostle Paul. He wasn't afraid to tell people he struggled. Don't be afraid to tell people you struggle. I already know you struggle. The person next to you, I've revealed the secret. We all struggle. I struggle. If you're here and, man, the old man just gotten a hold of you, the old nature, the sin-filled nature, go in there. Let, let us pray for you. Let us give you some wisdom. Let us tell you about Celebrate Recovery, whatever it is that will help you because it's going to take some hard work. Why don't you stand up and Pastor Scott's going to come and he's going to close our time in prayer.